It's time for Football Asia with Paul Williams. Yes, let's round out the show as we always do with Football Asia in the company of Paul Williams from the Asian Game, Podca- Game Podcast. Evening, Paolo. Hello, Paul. Simon, Alex, how are you guys? <laughs> Very good, apart from the pronunciation of the word game. Uh, before we move on to the action around the continent, a word on Shinji Ono, uh, the Japanese legend who, of course, played here in Australia for the Wanderers with such a plum. He's finally called it a day. The age of 44. There's hope for Broski yet. <laughs> That's young when you think about what Miura's, Kazu Miura's doing. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know that there are any real words to properly do Shinjiono's career justice. Um, his peak came before my time covering football. I was still in high school when he was still running around at his uh, his peak. But you speak to anyone who covered football at that time and they'll tell you just how good a, a player he was. He's still the youngest Japanese player to ever to play at a World Cup. He was 18 when he played in uh, in France 1998 and he was sort of part of that first generation of Japanese players that really started to move across to Europe you think of likes of Hidetoshi Nakata as well Junichi uh, Inamoto Shinji Ono it was one of those went to Feyenoord won the UEFA Cup Um, he was a a trailblazer for that generation of course we remember him fondly for his stint with Western Sydney Wanderers um, as part of that triumvirate with um, Heskey and, and Del Piero as well um I, I just the, the the moment that stands out to me it might not be the finest moment in his career but it's the goal that he scored against brisbane the the audacity to even attempt it the technique to pull it off um i think brenton speed got the the call absolutely right a genius he most certainly is he was just an absolute joy to watch um and sadly missed now that he's gone at 44 but i don't think his uh, contribution to japanese football is going to end there I played with him in um, at, in, in Japan at S-Pulse and he was incredible. I mean, on the field, the respect that he had from all the younger players and then off the field, how he helped us foreigners as well and, and um, had us over for dinner and, and always made us feel uh, welcome. Such a such an incredible guy for everything that he did anyway. Mm. Mate, looking in uh, at Korea, we spoke last week about the relegation scrap that was, um, that was happening there between the two Suwon clubs uh, and eventually the Blue Wings ended up dropping to K2 after they... Uh, could only draw with Gangwon in their final game. So an incredible mm. fall from Grace for the you know two-time former Asian club champions. Yeah, a huge fall from Grace. We've been covering it a little bit over the last couple of weeks. I thought they might actually pull it off. And after their two previous wins, um, I thought they might make it a third and avoid at least automatic relegation. But this has been a long time coming. I've mentioned before about Samsung, who, who owned the team, and the real lack of investment over the last couple of years. And I was reading an article this week from Korea that just highlighted and emphasized that point. A decade ago in 2013, they had the highest wage bill of anyone in Korea um, at 9 billion Korean won, which is about 7 million US dollars. Um, and at that time, Ulsan Hyundai's was about 6 billion won, so about 3 billion won less. A, a decade on, um, Suwon's is now 8 billion, so it's actually dropped. And Ulsan are now at 17 billion once so Suwon have gone from being um, the highest spenders in the league to one of the lowest spenders in the league. And that's reflected now in their performances and their results on the pitch as well. And there was a, a quote from their coach after they got relegated, quite damning quote. It was Yom Ki-hun, who was a, a veteran of Suwon, played there for 13 years. He was there in sort of those those peak years as well. Um, and he said, of course, the, the players did their 
their best, um, but it would have helped their cause if they had more talented players at their disposal, which is a bit of a whack to the, the players that he's he's got. But I guess it just highlights the plight that they can no longer attract the best players in Korean football. The question I have now is, what happens next? How quickly do they bounce back? Will this malaise continue in K- K2 or will there be sort of an automatic bounce back? Um, it's going to be fascinating to see what happens because they have been a powerhouse club. Indeed. Um, no such problems for Saudi Arabia in signing top players. They can afford what they want. Uh, one of whom, of course, is uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, uh, who was taunted from the opposition fans after his team, Al Nasser, uh, lost the Riyadh derby to great rivals Al Halal. How did he take mm. it? <laughs> As uh, I don't think he likes losing at the best of times, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, but I think he's become accustomed now to copying the jeers and the calls of Messi from the, uh, the Al-Halal fans. He's had it a, a few times now. But it was a, a fantastic occasion. I woke myself up early on Saturday morning to, to watch it, and it was fantastic derby fair. It was a, a massive crowd, sold-out uh, crowd at the King Fahd Stadium for its last ever match before redevelopment. Incredible TIFOs from both sides. There were flares all across the stadium, and the, the first 15 minutes was a, a frenzy of action. It's it's what the SPL wants to become over the next five to ten years as it sort of continues on this journey. The, the game sort of turned midway through the second half on the back of a moment involving Cristiano Ronaldo. He put the ball into the back of the net, um, was ruled out for offside, um, they have the semi, a semi-automated offside system in, in Saudi Arabia that we saw at the World Cup last year. And it came back, and I think it might have been a hair on his shoulder, um, was offside, if he has any hair on his body, that is. Um, it was the most marginal of marginal calls, but it was flagged. And it was uh, it would have been interesting if it was 1-1 with 20 minutes to go. Would have been game on. Um, but then, you know, Mitrovic, the staff, Al-Halal, scores two goals in five minutes at the other end, um, almost scored a hat-trick with a spectacular bicycle kick as well. Um, and they win 3-0 and extend their lead to to seven points at the end of the season. And as I said, this is what the SPL, the Saudi Pro League, this is what they want their league to become. It's a little bit like us when we see the Sydney Derby here. We look at the scenes and think, how can we get that every week? If we had that every week, imagine what we could have. And it's a little bit the same in Saudi Arabia after uh, scenes and games like that as well. Well, what does seem to be happening happening every week is something, uh, a big decision coming out of Saudi. And um, the AFC has made the decision to host the new look AFC Champions League Elite Finals in Saudi for the first two years. Meaning from the quarterfinal stage onwards, all games will be held there at Saudi Arabia and take place over one leg. Mm. You're going to get me going on a bit of a rant here, I reckon, because <laughs> this is something Good. I feel incredibly passionate about not so much the the decision to hold it in in Saudi Arabia I mean I think that's just a byproduct of the decision that the AFC and their um, professional leagues task force and the competitions committee of course James Johnson is a member of that committee as well they ratified this decision when they did the reforms for the Champions League to stage the the finals um, the final stages as they're calling it the quarterfinals semifinals and the final um, in a, a centralized hub um, Saudi Arabia have capitalized on the back of that it was them in Iraq that put forward bids to to host that so it's no surprise that it's gone to Saudi Arabia in what is they they said it was a two-year deal it will be a five-year deal I've been told Saudi's prepared to host it for up to 10 years um, so you know we're going to be going back to, to Saudi Arabia for a long time but for me I think this is one of the most um, 
appalling and disappointing decisions and decisions that the AFC has made that's going to do incredible damage, I think, to the AFC Champions League. Because Asia is just not a continent where you can stage neutral venue matches. It's geographically too spread and too diverse. It's incredibly expensive, time-consuming to travel across the country. And it just doesn't have the fan culture, the, the travel culture that you're going to get in Europe where something like this might be possible. So what you're going to see is you're going to deny yourself the opportunity to have some iconic occasions. And we've seen knockout matches in the past in, in China, Japan, Iran, even in Saudi Arabia, iconic occasions, you know, a trip to Saitama stadium means something because of the history of teams going there and you're going to get, you're going to be denied that opportunity. Now you're probably going to have, you know, most of the big four teams from Saudi Arabia there or thereabouts at the at the pointy end of the competitions. But, you know, what happens if you get a, a quarterfinal between, you know, Vissel Kobe and, and Shanghai Port that's being played in, in Jeddah or Persepolis and, and Pactacor? You're going to have you're going to have the most important matches of the competition played in front of empty stadiums. And I just don't see where the value in having those those biggest matches played in front of empty stadiums, where that comes from. How are you driving interest and demand in your competition when you're presenting it across a backdrop of of empty stadiums um and from a saudi point of view as well imagine with all the stars that they've got there imagine neymar in japan or ronaldo in thailand or benzema here in australia for a knockout match and what Mm. that could do for the competition in these parts of the world and instead these games are going to be played in the middle of the night um where half the competition half the continent that's already disengaged from this competition to begin with, aren't going to be able to to watch it. So I just think it's it's one of the most appallingly short-sighted decisions that I can remember from, from AFC, and it's one that I fear is going to do a significant amount of damage to this competition. It's almost as if it's just all about the money and they don't care about the fans, but no, we couldn't mm. say that. Uh, <laughs> talking of the money, Paolo, uh, the prize money has gone up from $4 million to $12 million. Now, I... You know, for for clubs in Saudi, maybe that doesn't mean too much because they've got plenty. But for a club in the A League, if we were to get a Wanderers through to the ground, to the final uh, or Adelaide, as as has happened before in the past, you know that that's a game changer, isn't it, for a club down here? A game, absolute for for a club from Australia, that's an incredible amount of money. Considering that there's no prize money for the A League, as well, um, whether it's still enough to satisfy and appease. The clubs participating will wait and see. I think the whole structure around the prize money needs to be reformed as well. I hope it is. I haven't seen any details yet as to what's going to happen moving forward. But I think the the prize money for qualifying for the tournament needs to be larger. The prize money for um, you know for wins in the tournament needs to be larger because I think what we've got now is so many clubs lose money playing in the tournament, yeah. which almost disincentivizes. Um, those clubs and that's just not a, a situation you should be having the, the Champions League should be the Champions League the premier club competition where clubs go and they can they can make significant amounts of money I mean 12 million for for winning it is is nothing to be sneezed at but it's the same amount of prize money that you get for winning the J League as well whereas if you win your continental competition you think it should be significantly more than your domestic competitions so we'll wait and see what happens on that front 
Uh, final question, Paolo, before we let you go. Uh, just a bit of a recap on last week's action uh, in the Champions League and indeed the AFC Cup. A few big talking points. Uh, Bangkok United winning their group ahead of uh, traditional heavyweights John Book Motors. Kevin Muscat's Yokohama F. Marinos facing possible elimination at the group stage. And in the AFC Cup, uh, I just want clarification that I'm reading this correctly. If MacArthur and the Mariners do go through in the ASEAN zone, then they will play in the zonal semi-finals against probably Sabah and Phnom Penh Crown. And am I am I reading that correctly or not? Because you need a degree think... in maths to figure out this <laughs> AFC Cup tournament. Thank God this is the last uh, year of this format of the AFC Cup tournament. Um, <laughs> I, I think you are reading that right. Yes, definitely. Um, so Sabah look absolute odds on to to win that uh, other group, and then it comes down to which team is the the best second place team for the. Uh, the fourth team from ASEAN that looks like it's going to be Phnom Penh Crown at this point in time. Um, so then, as you said, Central Coast and, and MacArthur, I think they do avoid each other and they'll play um, either one of those two teams. Um, in, in the Champions League, as you said, that's a huge result for Bangkok United to finish ahead of, of John Book. And we just sort of finished speaking about Suwon and the malaise that's, that struck them over the last couple of years. And there's a little bit of that creeping into John Book as well. They finished fourth in the league this season. It's their lowest position in the K-League since 2008. And it also means they haven't qualified for the Champions League for the first time since 2009, um, unless they go on to win it this year, which looks unlikely. So that's an incredible um, sort of fall from grace for for John Book to, to not qualify for the Champions League. They are a fixture and a furniture of this of this tournament. And, and just finally then on Muskie, They've had a disappointing campaign. I expected a little bit more of them given their form um, in the the J-League this season. For whatever reason, they've never been able to translate their form domestically onto the continent. Um, I think, if my maths is correct, a win against Shandong this week will see them through regardless of the other results because their head-to-head against Shandong um, will um, will be significant that would see them jump. Um, above them so they'll either finish first or as as one of the best runners up but um they they would have thought probably they would have had it wrapped up by uh, by this point um so it's been a little bit of a disappointing campaign sure has hey paolo we're, we've got to let you go thanks as ever great insight we'll speak to you next week mate thanks paul cheers guys